Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Fruit Loops, Season 3, Episode 6. Thank you so much for listening. We are so happy to have you. Yeah. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are white dudes. Oh, no. <laughs> no, baby. <laughs> no, girl. There are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and their victims, of course, that the media and entertainment commonly leave out. Because, newsflash, the news is racist, allegedly. <laughs> and we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists, just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294, and we may feature it on a future episode. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com, our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod, and our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And if you're not on Facebook, you can join the discussion on Twitter or Instagram by using the hashtag Fruit Loops Pod Discussion. That's right. So get ready. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app, which you can download to your phone, or you can find online at cash.me forward slash dollar sign Fruit Loops Pod, or you can become a monthly patron 
And we love our patrons, by the way. Through our Podbean patron page, we also have some merch for sale on our website at fruitlooselpod.com forward slash merch. And if you can't add monetarily, no biggie, no problem, boo. You can always give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcasts from. And be sure to share our show with your friends. Okay? Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Beth? Today we are talking about Sister Credonia Merwende. There you go. You got it. <laughs> let's give let's give let's give Beth a hip hop. Merwende. <laughs> yeah, you did Merwende. It. <laughs> All right. The high priestess and co-founder of the movement for the restoration of the Ten Commandments of God, a cult that murdered at least nine hundred people. This is part one, and next week we'll be back with part two. The number is just astounding. Crazy, yeah. (laughs) So, before we get into the story, how you doing? I'm doing good. So, my daughter was here for the last week with my grandson, and we got to spend a lot of time together, and that was really fun. Awesome. Um, And we went to see the Lion King remake, and I loved it. I I loved it even more than the cartoon. It was great. Whoa, 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 whoa. Pump the brakes. Really? (laughs) I did. The brakes, really? Yeah. Wait a minute. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because the the news on social media is that it was almost like, why did we need this? It wasn't necessary. But t- t- yeah. tell me, tell me what you love the most about it. I need to know. Um. Well, I thought it was really funny. Like there was a lot of really funny parts. There was more dialogue than okay. in the original one. And uh-huh. I thought it made a lot more sense than the original one. Like it was a little more complicated um, uh-huh. or it explained a little bit more what was going on. Uh-huh. And I'm just going on what my memory is of the cartoon, which I've actually, I've probably watched a lot of times. So my memory is probably pretty good. But uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I read that people didn't like it and uh, it, it got like, I don't know, 57% on Rotten Tomatoes or something, but I, I really liked it. So whatever. Oh, oh, oh well, I'm happy, I am happy to hear that you enjoyed it because I think if you liked it, then I will probably like it and I will go see it. Or yeah, I'll be like I actually, <laughs> I, I didn't see the point of it, you know, <laughs> and I wasn't real excited to see it. But, um, you know, I was excited to take my grandson to a movie. So, yeah. And, yeah. and it turned out I really, really enjoyed it. So yeah. did your grandson like it or was was he scared uh, or anything during any no, other part? He likes action movies, so he did enjoy it. He always has to take a bathroom break in the middle to run around. Of so of course he <laughs> do. Of course he do. That's why I hate seeing movies lately. I know. <laughs> so we did have to do that and he had to run around a little bit before he could sit down again. And <laughs> and he was a little bit of a squirmy worm. He was getting up and getting down and getting up, but there was hardly anybody in the theater, so it was fine. <laughs> oh my god, I understand that so much. I never, I, if you never had kids, you wouldn't, you wouldn't even get it. But like, <laughs> movie is really fucking hard. Yeah, oh yeah. well shout out to you beth for for taking your grandson (laughs) to the movie and for enjoying uh a movie with a mostly black 
cast. So that's awesome. Yeah. That, I, uh, I, I couldn't it. tell because they were all lions, but. Sure, sure. <laughs> oh, well, some of, some of them were hyenas. The hyenas oh, were really oh, fucking oh. scary looking. Really? Yeah, oh, a lot more scary well, looking than the cartoon. <laughs> really? Okay, okay. Well, yeah. look, Beyonce's in it, so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Say no more. I will go and get it some point. <laughs> 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 oh, yes. Oh, I'm glad. That's wonderful. Well, uh, me uh, over here in SOMO, we call it South Mountain, South Phoenix. <laughs> hey, have you heard of this app that the kids are loving called TikTok? No. Oh, my freaking. It's like it's like um, YouTube and Instagram had a baby on steroids. And <laughs> the, it's just it's just like 15 second or 30 second videos of people dancing, people doing cool experiments, people doing cool stuff. And huh. it is a fucking amazing. So I can't stop watching TikTok. I've, I've gone, <laughs> I, I pretty much neglected my kids because I've just been watching TikTok videos of people <laughs> dancing. Oh, na, na, na. It's just fun. And the face of so much awfulness in, in uh, the world right now. So yeah, I, we need um, some fun. We do. We do. So check out TikTok. But, um, there was an experiment that a lot of people were doing on TikTok where you take an egg and you pour it in a cup with either vinegar or Coca-Cola. And then the next day, like you wake up and this egg is a bouncy ball. And so me and oh. my kids, we took charge of all the recipes and there were like six. So we had six cups of eggs with different ingredients including coke and then one including vinegar and and we were like so excited about like being able to do these bouncy balls and so it was so fun so tiktok is amazing it really is just it's just fun all around if you need some joy or anything go to tiktok that's all i'm saying cat videos uh i hate cats um but you don't even like cat videos no no ma'am oh, no ma'am you can keep the cat videos to yourself Cats trying I... out different sized boxes no ma'am no, no ma'am not not no. a one cat not a one cat <laughs> will cross my visage i am not interested in anything a cat has to no do cats. um okay. no, no 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 i've never met a, a nice cat but if you have a nice one and you would like me to to meet them i'm i'm, I'm willing to try I just, okay i've never met one i'm just saying so <laughs> so now we are going to get into the part of our show where we check out some listener letters well hello angels hello angels thank you <laughs> Dig into that bag, Beth. What's it say? We got a message from Hannah on Facebook. And she said, finally, a show slash podcast where I don't have to worry about listening to the same perps and victims over and over again. But if I had heard them, I always hear and learn something new. I may be a teen, but I definitely recommend this podcast. Personally, I listen in bulk and I'm currently catching up. It gives me a little bit of insight on what my 28-year-old POC brother on my mom's side went through in his Spokane youth and his current struggle. Mm. Well, I must say that I um, went to high school in Spokane, and uh, it was so racist that I only go back there if somebody dies or somebody wow. get married. <laughs> I hate Spokane. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
but I would I would also like to shout out our new patrons, Marcy and Ashley. And you gals, you know what you get. You know what this is about. You're gonna get you some <laughs> hip hop air horns. Yes. Yeah, yes. and hip hop air horn to Hannah too. Yes, bitch. That's right. Okay, so um, we are going to take a quick break, and then we're going to get into the story when we get back. Yes, Brandon. Hey, yo, Jay hit me up, man. He said we got to record a commercial, yo. A commercial about what? About the show. We got to tell what, the sh- like, what we be talking about and shit. Oh, Lord. Oh, we talk about everything. Yeah, so we got to. What you going to say? I don't know. I, just, I say some shit like we talk about news and gossip and politics and black lives shit and White shenanigans and shit. And uh, how you and your wife be having lesbian sex. <laughs> right, because cause need they need to know that part. Yeah, they do need to know that part. But uh, you, what else I need to tell them? I mean, the name of the show at this point, you know what I'm saying, everything else. Oh, yeah, that too. This is the DJ Blaze Radio Show Podcast. And, whoo, podcast magic, we're back. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, remind us again, Beth, who are we talking about? We're talking about Sister Credonia Merwind. Merwind? Merinde. Merinde. God damn it. You got it, Ma. You got it, Ma. You got it, Ma. Sister Credonia Merinde, the high priestess and co-founder of the Movement for the Restoration of the Ten Commandments of God, one of the deadliest cults in the world. It was a sect that splintered from the Roman Catholic Church in Uganda. In early 2000, many followers of the religious movement died in a series of poisonings and brutal murders and in a fire that was initially considered a group suicide. It was later determined to be an orchestrated mass murder by group leaders after their predictions of the apocalypse failed to materialize. Yikes. Uh, So there's there's a lot of bad things coming, but uh, let's get into the stats. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) so uh, Credonia Merwinde, a.k.a. the programmer, a.k.a. the priestess of death, ran a Ugandan cult called the Movement for the Restoration of the Ten Commandments of God. And uh, I was thinking, like, maybe we could, like, hashtag T-M-R-T-C-G. <laughs> but I don't think that's a I good idea. I think we idea. should just call it the Movement. Yeah, we'll just call it the Movement. It's the deadliest cult ever. Okay, okay, yeah, a black woman did that, all right? <laughs> Funny how the Fifth Commandment says, Thou shalt not kill, and she killed a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. And, and, <laughs> In her in her pre-cult slash murder days, she was a banana beer maker. She was a bar owner. And some reports say that she was a promiscuous woman. Other reports say that she was a sex worker. You know, I don't know for we sure. We don't really know. Yeah. Uh, she was born on July 30th, 1952 in the Kanugu district of Uganda. Her murderous crimes began presumably when the cult began in 1989 or 1990 the mass murder of approximately 530 people members of her church that happened in march of 2000 no one really knows the true number of victims but i've seen numbers up to 
750 to 1,000 to 2,000 to 3,000 in total. She killed a lot. She was involved in a lot of murders. All right. Yeah. Um, Hundreds of the bodies were discovered in unmarked graves around Uganda after the mass murder in the church fire. This was the largest murder investigation in Uganda history. So this was a big deal. Yeah, they still haven't uncovered everything. Yeah, everything. So now we're going to dive into the setting. So, Beth, take us there. This occurred in the late 80s to March 2000 in Uganda, a country in East Central Africa. It is bordered to the east by Kenya, to the north by South Sudan, to the west by the Democratic Republic of the Congo, to the southwest by Rwanda, and to the south by Tanzania. It was colonized by Britain beginning around 1860, and as always, colonial rule altered local economic systems dramatically. You know they do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... <laughs> Prior to colonization, Uganda was made up of several different kingdoms, but in 1894, the British government assumed power, declaring Baganda the principal kingdom, a protectorate, while smaller kingdoms were ignored. Of course, Britain's principal concern was financial. Baganda's agents served as local tax collectors and labor organizers for the British and the Bagandans began imposing their culture on the other kingdoms. Colonizers need to be ashamed of themselves. Yeah. (laughs) They do it every time. Every time. Every time. So this created a hierarchy in which Baganda was favored and it assured their cooperation with the British and subdued the other kingdoms. Um, Something similar was done in Rwanda by the Belgians, which is what eventually caused the Rwandan genocide. It just took like 70 years. (laughs) Similarly, this setup caused a lot of turmoil in Uganda, and Uganda eventually achieved independence in October of 1962, but the damage had already been done. Way to go, colonizers. Uh Early Christian missions emphasized literacy skills, and African converts quickly learned to read and write, giving them status, probably at least in part because of this. Modern Uganda is mostly Christian, dominated by Roman Catholics. 14% of the population is Muslim, and in many other parts of Africa, Islam and Christianity have been combined with indigenous religions to form various fused religions. Yeah, so uh, forming new religions is nothing new to Africa. No, not at all. Not at yeah. all. Yeah, no. <laughs> Uganda's population is mostly rural, although the number of people living in cities is growing. Most people combine cattle keeping with some form of farming, and they keep some livestock in the form of goats, chickens, and occasionally ducks, rabbits, and geese. The recent past of Uganda has been marked with political and social turmoil. The rule of dictator Idi Amin, hey, you guys seen the last king of Scotland with Forrest Whitaker? Yeah. Yeah. That was my first introduction to Idi Amin. Yeah. Um, He killed hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, There was also the AIDS pandemic and a civil war called the Ugandan Bush War wreaked havoc across the country. Additionally, the Roman Catholic Church was enveloped in multiple scandals. 
Because of this, a lot of post-Catholic groups formed in the late 80s as people turned to charismatic self-declared messiahs who renounced the authority of the government and the church. So that's the setting. Now we're going to get into the killer's early life. So hit it, Beth. (laughs) Credonia was born in July of 1952 in Kanungu. She was raised Catholic in a religious family, and her father, Paolo Kashaku, said he had religious visions. Credonia was said to be beautiful, captivating, and persuasive, but also quick to anger, and she was not known to be well-behaved. Well, given how successful she was at basically creating a a super multi-level marketing company about (laughs) like she had she had like seriously she i want to meet her she had to yeah super charismatic but yeah um according to a childhood friend of credonia's she enjoyed going dancing and she was a sex worker others say that she was just promiscuous and liked to play up the image of the repentant prostitute to make her seem like Mary Magdalene. Although Mary Magdalene wasn't actually a sex worker, she often gets confused with another Mary in the Bible who was. Credonia also brewed and sold banana beer in Kanugu. She was married five times to five different men, and she had a son and daughter from two different husbands. When Credonia was 20, she went on a rampage after she believed that her husband, Rubale, had an affair with her sister. She burned Rubale's belongings in the house. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Some Angela Angela Bassett shit. (laughs) You remember that scene from Angela Bassett in the Stella Get Her Groove Back? I never watched that movie. I should have watched it, but I never did. Does she do that? A woman who's just lights her tune stuff on fire and just walks away in like a negligee it's glorious it's it's one of the reasons why we love angela bassett so much i'll have to watch that one you will i don't know why i haven't but yeah i'll put it on my list (laughs) okay after this incident credonia's family sent her away for psychological treatment but she was just labeled as mentally disturbed and sent on her way She was known. I shouldn't laugh, but (laughs) yep, she's mentally disturbed. Yep. Stamp. We are all about (laughs) mental health treatment, et cetera, et cetera. I talked to my therapist today and we'll talk to her two days from now. Uh, We love. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Uh, But uh, to send her away for treatment and just not not do anything, but stamp her mentally disturbed. That's not cool. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, Maybe that's the whole thing is I'm going to have to get into my takeaway bag, but uh, maybe she was just in need of some more mental health treatment. I don't know. Oh, for sure. She was. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty sure she was. Yeah. (laughs) Well, she was known to have a fascination with fire. And once she set a relative's banana plantation on fire. Whoa. There is also an unsubstantiated story about her in which it is alleged that she seduced and murdered someone at a bar that she owned with her fifth husband, Eric Mazima. But Mazima claimed that she was a uh, dutiful and loving wife with no real interest in religion until she claimed to have 
had a vision of the Virgin Mary in August of 1988. So now we're going to talk about a guy who was also in the cult. His name was Joseph Kibwateri, Mm -hmm. and he was born in 1932. Mm. He came from a pious Catholic background as well and was educated at the local Catholic school. By Ugandan standards, he was a wealthy man. In 1960, he married a woman named Teresa. They had 13 children, and Joseph also had a few illegitimate children outside of his marriage. He ran for political office in 1980, but he lost. However, he had enough land to donate for a school of his own design. The Catholic school that he founded and led was an Orthodox school, and at that point, he had a positive image in the community. He enjoyed being in charge and having control. And on April 25th, 1984, Kibwateri allegedly had a vision of the Virgin Mary himself. Yeah, they call it a a Marian apparition. And apparently it's uh, kind of common in Africa in certain places. Um, The vision part? Yeah, the visions of the Virgin Mary. There's only a few that have been like stamped as authentic by the Catholic Church. Mm But uh, lots of people have these visions, and I'm not really sure why. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Now we are going to dive into the timeline. So now we're going to get into some juicy fucked up shit. (laughs) Uh, so take it away, Beth. <laughs> Beginning on August 24th, 1988, Crononia began claiming that she was having visions of the Virgin Mary. She was joined by other people, mostly women, at Naya Bogoto Rock, where most of the visions took place. Crononia left her husband, Eric Mazima, when she decided that she wanted to spread the word, and Mazima did not share her visions. In July 1989, Joseph Kibuteri and his wife, Teresa, went to church. While there, they were told about some women who had visions of the Virgin Mary. One of the women was Morwinde. She and two other women told Joseph Kibuteri that he had been anointed to help them spread the word of God and that the Virgin Mary had led them to him, a Roman Catholic known for his piety, prayer, and good works. Merwinde told Joseph that the Virgin Mary told her that a man named Kibuteri would help her establish a movement of people to return to the Ten Commandments. And I keep saying Kibuteri. Weird, but forgive me. Okay? You're forgiven. Yeah, thank you. According to Kibuteri's family, that meeting in 1989 was the start of a chain of events that led to the estrangement from their father and husband and his clash with an excommunication from the Roman Catholic Church, which he really loved. So um, crazy. Very much so. The group tried to establish a permanent camp at Niabugotu Rock, but They met hostile resistance from the residents of the area and their offer to buy land and establish a church in the area was rejected. Since the group did not have a permanent home, some of the more wealthy members like Joseph Kibuteri provided accommodation at their homes. 
According to Joseph's wife, Teresa Kibwateri, Merwinde moved into the house in July of that year and did not leave for two years. <laughs> she said that Merwinde was humble at first, but she soon began to mistreat Teresa, telling her that she was bad. Kibwateri was a man with status, money, and he was crucial in helping Credonia with any PR issues she would face due to her gender that might affect her credibility as a cult leader. He helped her get the movement off the ground and he gave it legitimacy. However, every castle needs one queen. And if there's two queens, yeah. shit's about to get fucked up. So, <laughs> so you know she had mean? to get rid of yeah, Teresa, had, I think. Yeah, yeah. no, you, you can't have two queens in this one house. Uh, no, 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 uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, the small group quickly gathered around Joseph, and by 1991, it had become a group of approximately 200 people. Joseph Kibuteri was appointed the leader, but according to Teresa, Credonia Merwinde held the actual power. Under them were three apostles, later to become 10, for a total of 12 leaders, a structure based on the 12 apostles. According to Teresa, Merwinde was silent most of the time, and she mostly stayed alone in her room, which led off of the living room. They would only see her when they went to mass and to meetings, and her nephew would pass messages to them. She said she was receiving messages from the Virgin Mary, and she would spend the whole day writing them down. Teresa and Joseph's son, Giles Musine, was appalled by what he saw. My father loved us when, when we were children, but then he started to do whatever those women told him. He stopped loving us. Giles also disliked the cult's message. They prepared nice food for higher ranks, but the rest could stay all day without eating. They would punish people. They would tell children not to go to school, including my brothers and sisters. And they would say the world was ending and that if we were sick, we should pray instead of getting medicine. A doomsday cult that predicted the end of the world in 2000, the group called themselves the Movement for the Restoration of the Ten Commandments of God. 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 They, <laughs> I was, I'm a PK. I'm a pastor's kid. So when people, I, I just love making <laughs> God. Doing God. the pastor voice. <laughs> and the Lord. And the Lord said, spike down on these motherfucking, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so, uh, <laughs> okay, where was it? Okay, so they taught to avoid damnation in the apocalypse, you have to strictly follow the Ten Commandments. Thou shall not... Uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> cult members were forbidden to speak and communication was mostly conducted in sign language and writing. To join, people were expected to sell out their property and possessions and turn over the proceeds. Joseph started to sell off his property to buy food and clothing for the group. Today's episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. It was a night like any other. We'd just finished a live show of the podcast at Madison Square Garden. It was <laughs> nice to see Megan and Harry. You know, so nice of them to come. And then we told the pilot, hey, gas up the PJ. We out of here. <laughs> Wait, gas up the PJ? Megan and Harry? Shh, shh, shh. <laughs> 
Just go with it, okay? Okay, okay. So, Wendy, we gassed up the PJ, and then what? Well, <laughs> while we were on the PJ, that's private jet for regular folks. I was wondering. We, we were up in the clouds, scoring some quality time with Best Fiends. It was incredible. And the good news is, I'm on level 393. Right on. Yes, it sounds incredible, but if mm-hmm. your head's in the clouds like Wendy, in an imaginary <laughs> private jet with Megan and Harry, or your feet are firmly planted on the ground at work or in line at the grocery store. One thing is true. Best Fiends is just plain fun. Mm, It is true. Now, Best Fiends is a free-to-download mobile puzzle game with thousands of exciting levels for new adventures and challenges every time you play. There are dozens of unique fiends to collect so you can customize your team of fiends to defeat the menacing slugs. I'm sorry. I was just looking at this funny text from Harry. Anyway, power up your favorite fiends to new levels for even more powerful skills and watch them transform as they get stronger. With offline play, Wendy's favorite, you'll Mm -hmm. never be stranded without fun, even if you lose your internet connection. Download your favorite getaway, Best Fiends, for free today on the App Store or Google Play. You'll even get $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. The adherents would sometimes burn people's property on the pretext that they had been sinful and God was punishing them. For Teresa Kiwateri, a turning point came when one of the adherents poured paraffin on a bag of her clothes and then set them on fire. Yikes! <laughs> when Teresa complained to Merwinde, she told her that the fire had come from heaven. She then threw a bar of soap at Teresa and started chasing her. Teresa believed that she would have assaulted her if Merwinde had not fallen down, allowing Teresa to escape. No, ma'am. Uh, we will not be doing this today. Not in this house. Not, not in this place. Not today. Do not be chasing me with in no her thing. own house. In my own house. This bitch is doing no. this shit. This bitch really needs lesson in respect. I cannot believe this. This is crazy. So Teresa and the rest of the Cubitary family decided that enough was enough. Well, I agree. They <laughs> called the village elders and explained what was happening. In 1992, the group was ordered out of the village by the village elders. The family told Joseph that uh, he could stay with just a few people, but he told them he was going away and would never come back which is just what he did, except for one occasion to attend the funeral of one of his sons. And then he never came back. The group moved to Kanangu, where Morwende had property. Allegedly, all three of her brothers died off one by one until she was the sole owner of the land. And poison is suspected in those deaths. Mm. The group established a headquarters called, oh boy, Isha Yuriro Ria Maria, meaning Mary's place of salvation. Mm-hmm. The headquarters in Kanungu were secluded and on an isolated hill with a clear view of all the approaches. So anyone coming in would be noticed from a distance, whichever direction they came from. The group also built enclosures around their premises so that any bypassers or visitors could not see what went on in the camps. Fasts were conducted regularly with only one small meal eaten on Fridays and Mondays. 
anything that came from the outside had to be prayed over and sanctified before they could keep it. And sometimes items were just burned if Merinde instructed it. Mm -hmm. Life was similar to a labor camp. The cult leaders made sure that their followers were busy with no time to relax and talk amongst themselves, not even in signs. They were either praying, working in the gardens or on the farms, cooking or traveling at night. By the end of their busy schedule, they were too tired to discuss anything. The cult established different camps at the homes of the adherents who would allow them to stay, like Joseph Kubateri had. But they had not allowed members of the same family to stay together in one camp, which is very weird. Husbands, wives, and children were separated. Members were not allowed to have sex, and those caught breaking the rule would be caned severely. Yeah, uh, husbands and wives, even. Yeah, nobody. I cannot fuck my husband. Are you freaking nope. kidding me? <laughs> no. Nope, you have, have to live in different camps, too. <laughs> well, can I fuck the other guy? Uh, nope. No. Nope. Uh, all Not right. Then I'm out of here. I am out. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> According to their former preacher, Martino Nuagaba, who defected from the cult early on, the religious justification for the separation and prohibition of sex was based on a verse in one of St. Paul's letters where it is said that there is a very short time remaining for those with wives to be like those who have no none. And they interpreted this to mean that whoever has a wife should be like one who has none. Okay. <laughs> I never liked Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I took a whole class. I went to a Christian college. Mm -hmm. I took a whole class on the writings of Paul. I can't remember anything from it, but I <laughs> it was kind of a jerk. I never liked are him. People really into Paul's words. So, hmm. That so much so that they made a whole class and a whole cult. Mm -hmm. hey, yes, ma'am. So, however, these restrictions did not apply to all the members of the cult equally. According to the close members of the cult who uh, defected, some leaders in the cult violated the rules with impunity. Nuagaba remembers when he found Kibuteri and Credonia Marinde in bed when he had gone to awaken one of them for prayers. When he opened the door and saw them in bed, he was shocked and immediately closed the door again. So uh, they were boinking each other. Is this Joseph? Joseph and Credonia. Yeah. Yeah. Joseph and Credonia were boinking each other super hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that was okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when Noagaba later demanded an explanation, he was told that Kibwateri and Merwinde were free to sleep together because it was an order from God. <laughs> <laughs> also, one of Kibwateri's sons was caught having sex, and although this was reported, nothing was done to punish him. He wasn't caned like the other people. In fact, people were often given different punishments for the same offenses, and those who sold all of their property and possessions were treated more leniently than those who had not. Also, on Mondays and Fridays, when ordinary members were required to fast, the leaders did not. Similarly, during food shortages, the cult leaders had plenty to eat while young children went hungry. This kind of discriminatory treatment led some to doubt the teachings of the cult and to defect. 
The children in the group were not allowed to talk, and they slept on mats on the bare floor. They were poorly fed and were sickly and malnourished. Children were treated cruelly, and they were sometimes beaten. According to Teresa Kibwateri, whenever a child cried at night, he or she was taken out into the dark and cold until, quote, it stopped crying, unquote. Awful. That would have been my turning point, not somebody burning my clothes. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, I, we'll get into later, like, why people join cults and stuff. But I just, you fuck with my kids. Yeah, not happening. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Um, the punishment of children was carried out by the caretakers, quote unquote. However, there was also discrimination in the treatment of children. The children of cult leaders and their relatives were not treated as harshly. And according to Teresa, if a parent bought clothes for his or her children, the clothes were given away to other children. The claim being that all children are the same. Only if they're somebody else's children, apparently. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fucked up. Yeah. Credonia Merwinde has been described as a beautiful, authoritative, eloquent, dictatorial, extremely cunning, and shrewd woman who commanded respect, but also instilled fear in her followers. According to Kibwateri's son, Juvenile Rugambwa, mm -hmm. he had never seen Credonia Merwinde laugh or smile for the years she stayed with them at the Kibwateri home. She sounds like a barrel of laughs. Oh, yes. Uh, but <laughs> I, for this many people to follow her, she had to have been like an Oprah or like a Gail or like a, I don't know. Uh, Merwinde was known by the adherents as quote unquote programmer and Ekionbeko Kia Maria or the Virgin Mary structure. She supposedly was represented a message from the blessed Virgin Mary. Whenever one would say that programmer has come, quote unquote, everybody would fall face down. So I'm, I'm assuming they would get in a prayer position or something like that. When yeah, something like that. that. Yeah. Although the cult was officially called, <laughs> we have to say it again, the movement <laughs> for the restoration of the Ten Commandments of God. <laughs> Hashtag TMRTCG. Uh, too much. The movement. Yeah, no ring, no ring. It was often referred to as the Kibwateri group, implying that Kibwateri was the leader of the cult. But as we said earlier, Kibwateri was just a figurehead intended to impose masculine authority over the followers and enhance the cult's public relations. Because at the time, women in Uganda had no power. Nope. But in reality, the power behind the cult was Cordonia Merwinde. The sect grew in importance with the arrival of Dominic Kataribobo, a respected and popular priest with a PhD from a university in the United States. And, and I just wanted to, I'm worried that people will think that this has nothing to do with the story, but I wanted to welcome you all to Culture Corner. And I wanted to bring this up because I heard somebody say, uh, to a black African person um, recently, and since we're talking about an Af an African woman um, serial killer, oh, oh, you think you're better than us, i.e., you know, a black American. And I realized that listeners and people may not realize that there can be some tension or misunderstanding between black Americans and 
um, the rest of the diaspora. I'm, and I mean, black people from Central America, black people from Africa, black people from um, other countries. And I've heard interviews with Africans in response to this say they're just they're just full of pride and they're taught to be better than everyone, period. Um, from uh, they got to be better than the white man. They got to be uh, better than the black American man. They got to be better than the Chinese man. Uh, and and in my own um, black Latinx family, I have heard similar sentiments and um, I asked one of my family members about this recently, like, because my, uh, my um, Central American family doesn't really see, it's almost like they don't see or recognize the fact that um, they don't see white supremacy the same way that I do. Um, and I, I asked them why. And uh, my, one of my aunties, I, I uh, asked her recently, why, why don't you see it the same way that I do? Because to in, me, in it, that it doesn't upset her as much or what? It doesn't upset her as much. It really okay. doesn't. Um, and the reason is because she said, uh, Wendy, you were blessed with being born in the United States. Like you are already here. You have so much opportunity here. We traversed miles and miles to get here. And once we got here, we did the damn thing. But you are already here. So things should be so easy for you. And um, so I, I just wanted to sort I just wanted to put that out there and we can put it in the um, hashtag discussion group, Fruitless Pod Discretion. But um, I, because we're talking about an African person and uh, I know there's a lot of POCs listening to this. I, I think it is something that we should talk about. So that's, yeah, that's why I bring it up. Welcome to Culture Corner. And I'm done. Uh, what's next? <laughs> <laughs> so next, the cult set about spreading its message. They had a 163-page manifesto called A Timely Message from Heaven, The End of the Present Times. So these people could not ever be brief, could they? <laughs> Holy moly. Oh my God. No. 163 pages. A 10, 15 word title. Stop it. Get out of here. That was the first sign that they should not be part of this group. You want to get out of here and sit down somewhere. Stop it. Most of this manifesto was devoted to the revelations that the cult leaders said they had received. It contained dark prophecies of famines and wars, you know, fun stuff like rivers turning to blood and food turning to poison, really happy stuff. Merwinde claimed to receive messages from the Virgin Mary through a hidden telephone system that communicated through everyday objects. Of course, of course mm -hmm. she did. Yeah. <laughs> movement leaders created a deep fear of the devil infiltrating the movement. New members were required to study the manifesto and be trained in its text. They also taught that the Virgin Mary had spe uh, had a special role in the end and that she also communicated with her leadership. They held themselves akin to Noah's Ark. Of course they did, you stupid <laughs> motherfucker. A ship of righteousness in a sea of depravity. Of course. Mm -hmm, of course. Of course. Okay. And that is where we are going to leave it for this week. Tune in next week for the second half of the story. 
This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's mistakes. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips. Oh, that's right. So do you have a uh, tip, Rooney? I do. I do. So my tip is how to avoid joining a cult. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm just going to read some uh, things that I read online about uh, how to recognize if, if a group is a cult or not. I'm ready. Uh, so it says, beware of any kind of pressure to make a quick decision about becoming involved in any intensive kind of activity or organization. Be wary of any leader who proclaims him or herself as having special powers or special insight, and of course, divinity. Be wary of groups that are closed. In other words, although there may be outside followers, there's usually an inner circle that follows the leader without question and maintains a tremendous amount of secrecy. Be wary of groups that use deceptive means, typically to recruit new members, and then once recruited, will subject its members to an organized program of thought reform, or what most people refer to as brainwashing. Be wary of groups that exploit members, uh, mostly financially, but within the group, they'll usually exploit members also psychologically, emotionally, and often sexually. A very important aspect of a cult is the idea that if you leave the cult, horrible things will happen to you. And people who leave the cult are looked on very negatively and sometimes retaliated against. So there you go. Oh, yes. That is like fire. Fire. <laughs> so if you find any of that stuff going on don't don't join the group nope. Nope, nope, nope. thanks Beth those were wonderful tips so now it's time for serial killer or crime news all right so Centoya Denise Brown was released from prison and had her sentence commuted by the governor of Tennessee uh, she's a woman of color who, at the age of 16, was convicted of the murder and robbery of Johnny Michael Allen. Brown said that Allen had paid her $150 to have sex with him and that she feared for her life during their encounter, leading her to shoot him. Prosecutors argued that Brown killed Allen in order to rob him. Brown was found guilty and sentenced to 51 years to life, and she was only 16. Mm. After renewed interest in her case in 2018, the governor of Tennessee commuted her original sentence to 15 years, scheduling her release on August 7th, 2019. And her story is detailed in the 2011 documentary, Me Facing Life, Sintoya's Story. Mm. Yeah, well, we are excited that uh, Sapoya is out of prison. Uh, let's see. Uh, we are uh, on the shout out portion of our show where we shout out any content by people of color or about people of color or any true crime goodies. And I wanted to shout out the podcast by Malcolm Gladwell. 
And Malcolm Gladwell is a mixed race black guy. His mom is Jamaican. His dad is a white Canadian guy. And um, I've read several of his books. Um, he, he wrote Outliers. Um, he's got a new book called Talking to Strangers. But he also has a podcast called Revisionist History. It's an awesome podcast. I have to say it is fantastic. And his latest episode was about a Latinx guy who appears to have been senselessly killed by the police. But when you take a closer look, it might have actually been SBC, which is a new term for me. I'd never heard this before. It's called suicide by cop. Um, and, uh, it's a really, really great podcast. Um, and so I would just encourage everybody to listen to, uh, Malcolm Gladwell's new podcast on wherever you get your podcasts. It is super dope. So you never heard of suicide by cop before? No, I had not. I, it was new to oh, me. Oh, wow. Had you? Yeah. No, yeah. I had no idea. I had no idea. Oh, wow. Was an actual thing. Uh, to be honest, yeah, yeah. Man, I was I'm severely disturbed by it, but I didn't know. I had yeah. No yeah, it is. It is very disturbing. Yeah. But yeah, it does happen. Yeah. yeah. No, no idea. So, OK, where can the people find us, Beth? Our website is FruitLoopsPod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod, And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod, And links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app, which you can download to your phone, or you can find online at cash.me forward slash dollar sign Fruit Loops Pod, or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. We also have merch on our website now at fruitloopspod.com forward slash merch. This is a weekly podcast, yeah, okay? And new episodes drop every Thursday. So, until next time, y'all motherfuckers, uh, look alive, guys. It's crazy out there. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts 
or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.